Wall Street Journal ran an interesting article over the weekend. I don't know if you read it. It's by Amanda Ripley. And the title of the article is, America Meet America, Overcoming Our Toxic Partisanship. It's a lengthy article, but the premise of it basically goes like this. We need to, we need to meet one another. The reason we don't like each other so much is because we really don't know one another. And so, I don't know if you remember years gone by, we used to have this um, exchange of students, international exchange of students, and we still do it uh, in some places in America where, say, a student from Africa or Europe or Asia would come over to America and study for a year. And some of you guys have even hosted students who do that. And in return, we send our students over to those countries. And what they found out is, why all those misconceptions, all those false ideas that we had of a different people or of different culture. So, what Miss Ripley does is pretty fascinating. She says we not only need to do that internationally, but we need to do that domestically. And so a group in Rhode Island said, Mississippi. Now, where is Mississippi? Uh, is that even in America? And so they said, well, let's reach out to the Mississippians and bring them on up here to Rhode Island. And they did. And Brown University said it was amazing. Uh, we, we found out a lot about Mississippi. We found out that they love to eat unhealthy food. We figured that out. But religion is very, very important. Now, I'm not talking about just religion. I'm talking about Jesus religion, you know. And the article said, you know, those in the Ivy League schools um, oftentimes denigrate and make fun of evangelical Christianity. And I'm reading her article thinking, this is really interesting. America, meet America, overcoming our toxic by or partisanship. But you know what? There's a, greater, uh, there's a greater answer. And it's contained in the Bible. It's our text today. For us to really have peace in our country or to have joy in our lives and in our homes and in our nation, we ought to just take a page right out of Nehemiah chapter 8 and say, oh God, Bring unity. God, bring peace. Bring joy. God, do what you did in Nehemiah at the revival at the Watergate. Now, I know when I say the word Watergate, I almost don't even want to use that word because all kinds of politics and all kinds of images just swirl around in our mind. But that's exactly what happened. In around 444 B.C., the children of Israel gathered together outside. There are about 50,000 of them, okay? Not in a church, not in a temple, but they're out at the Watergate. Uh, the, the Gihon Spring flows from that direction into the valley, and they're standing outside, and they build a platform. And on the platform, the man of God will stand, and he will read the Word of God for six solid hours. <laughs> six hours. He reads Scripture, and then his associate pastors, if you will, the Levites, mingle out into the crowd, and they go to the individuals and say, he just read from uh, Genesis. Do you understand what he just read? Well, don't rightly understand, and so let me explain it to you. And that went on for six hours, and we call it the revival at the Watergate. And I'm praying that God would revive us and bless us, not only individually, but in, in our homes and our families and in our church, and yea, in our Nation. So let's continue our study in the book of Nehemiah. I want to read Nehemiah uh, chapter 8, and our text today is verses 1 through 12, and it's called Revival uh, at the Watergate. Let, let me give you a good definition of revival. As you're turning there uh, in, your, in, your, in your Bible, go on to uh, uh, Chronicles, keep going, and you'll, you'll come into the book of Nehemiah. 
And we're, we're in this study. We've been studying Nehemiah for a few months and, and, and I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been blessed and encouraged from reading God's word and studying it corporately as, as a church family. So revival, according to Richard Owen Roberts, and jot this down. You may want to jot this down. Somebody may ask you one day, well, what is a good definition of revival? And here it is. It's an extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God that produces extraordinary results. That's a good definition by Richard Owen Roberts. And what you're going to find, you're going to find mundane, uh, the boring, the church as usual is going to be jettisoned in Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is just going to move upon the people of God. And the primary focal point, that which is most conspicuous, is the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. The Pentateuch, the, the Decalogue, the Old Testament, the first five books, they, they dusted it off, they pulled out the scroll, and Ezra the priest, he stood up and he read for six solid hours. And what I want us to do today is to extrapolate some truths from the revival back then and ask the Spirit of God to apply those truths to us today. In fact, I'm going to share with you four. I think there are four salient features of revival in the text uh, that, that could, that really they transfer time. They transfer culture. They're cross-cultural, cross-time. They apply to every generation because they are just these core values of when God shows up, when God moves in, when last week we heard, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Can I say, blessed is the church that experiences the palpable, powerful presence of God in their midst. And that's what I'm praying for today. I believe we need a touch from God. I really do. I believe not only in our nation, oh my word, we need a touch from God. We need healing. We need a miracle to happen in our nation. Barring a miracle, I don't know how this thing's going to end. I mean, we got people that hate one another. I mean, just because they're a Democrat, they are hated. And just because they're a Republican, they are absolutely hated. And where does that come from? I'm going to tell you something, guys and gals. Hate doesn't come from God. Hate comes from below. Hate comes from those deep base emotions in the human heart, which is exceedingly wicked. And hate comes from the devil. And he whispers and he just says, divide and divide and let me conquer and let me conquer. But may we as the people of God come together. And it really is miraculous that independents, conservatives, liberals, Democrats, Republicans, there's a bunch of all of you in the house today. And I'm so glad we can come together and the banner under which we live our lives is not some political banner, but it's the banner of Jesus Christ. He is King and He is Lord. And that's what we're about here. All right, so here it is, Nehemiah chapter 8. We're calling it Revival at the Gate. Fascinating text it is. Now all the people gathered together. How many? All the people. Everybody showed up for church today. Ain't that amazing? As one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra, oh, there's Ezra. We hadn't seen him. There's a whole book written by him, but here he is featured in Nehemiah. Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. So that tells us what, what they're asking for, right? The Old Testament Decalogue, the Pentateuch, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. On October the 1st, the Feast of Trumpets, 
They've gathered together to meet God in worship. And I'm telling you, God's about to show up and show off. God's about to show up and show off. And he's going to bring a powerful wave of conviction. There's going to be repentance. There's going to be, there's just going to be shouting. There's going to be joy. Look at it. Then he read. He read from it, the book of the law in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, six hours before the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe, he stood on a platform of wood. Have you ever asked, why are you so elevated? Is it because you're so short and we can't see you unless we elevate you? You ever ask that question? Why, why, are, why are we up here and, and you are down there? Is it to exalt the person and the personality of Brother Danny and so I can exert my influence over you? No, the reason I'm up here tall is so you can hear the Word of God and you can see the man of God as he preaches the Word of God. That's, that's the only reason why. So the scribe, he stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood the following men. Bless them. I cannot pronounce their names, but there they are. All right, you see them? There they are. Amen. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, right? He's standing above them. And when he opened the book, all the people stood. So let's all stand up. The word of God is open. Let's all stand. I wonder where we got that. I know some preachers, they, every time they open the Bible and they preach, the people of God stand up. And, and we do that sometimes, and we're especially doing it today because, I mean, that is exactly. Now, be careful. If you're going to do that, then maybe you're going to do the rest of it, all right? Because it gets, it gets just flat out Pentecostal here in a minute. I'm, I'm serious. People start shouting start bowing down on the ground, start waving their hands in the air like they just don't care. You know why? Because God shows up. Man, when God shows up, our inhibitions, as far as man-made inhibitions, they go out the door. And I'm not talking about anything crazy. I'm just talking about reverent joy and this, this demonstrative worship. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on. He stood up and all the people, he, he was up there and he's reading and all the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord. Mm. Didn't bless Nehemiah, did he? He said, where is Nehemiah in all this? Hold on a second. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen. And they lifted their hands and they, what? Is that where we get that? In the, is that why some of them folks were shouting, waving their hands in the air? Why do they do We're Baptists. We don't do that. Yes, we do. If you feel free to raise your hand, raise your hand. The people of God did it in the Old Testament. They bowed their heads and they worshiped to the Lord and they put their faces on the ground. Mercy. Also, here comes some more beloved brethren. <laughs> and the Levites <laughs> helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God and they gave the sense and they helped them to understand the reading. Ezra would read, and his Levite friends would go out into the congregation and say, he just read something that's hard to understand. Can I, can I just translate it, first of all, for you from the Hebrew to the Aramaic? And then let me just take a moment to you and explain what is going on. You say, well, that will take six hours if we do. That's exactly what they did. 
And I believe most of them stood for the entire time. Now again, guys, you gotta remember, when God shows up and there's revival, things just do, they look different. It's not sing three songs, pastor preaches, and then we take up an offering and go home. We, it, it's, it, things just happen. God shows up and, and things just kind of get a little different. So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Now, Nehemiah, there he is, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, the Levites who taught the people, they said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept. Oh, how about that? There's crying in church. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet. And I want to say as a good Baptist, amen. Eat the fat and drink some sweet tea. Come on, ain't that good? Eat the fat, drink the sweet. Come on, let's have, a, let's have a party. And then send the portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's where we got that. I, I knew that song had to be in the Bible somewhere. It's right here. I tell you, Nehemiah chapter 8 is just one of those verses, y'all. It's just one of those chapters where it's just so rich. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites, they quieted all the people and they said, Be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people, all the people went their way to eat and to drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared unto them. May the Lord add blessings upon the reading of his word. You may be seated. Praise God. What a text. Come on. Man, what if you were the pastor and you got to preach on that? You think you could do it in 20 minutes? I don't think so. I don't think so. I know I can't. So we're going to look at... Um, some key characteristics of, of revival. First of all, this is not one of the, the points, but it, it's worth noting that, that really when revival comes, God takes center stage. I mean, it's all about God. It's all about worshiping him. It's all about preaching his word, teaching his word. It's all about the people obeying what they've heard. And, and what you notice here is Nehemiah. Everything's been basically about Nehemiah up to this point, but Nehemiah, he is just kind of blending in the crowd. He's just kind of he, he, he's no longer featured, if you will. It's like Ezra the priest, he understands this better than I do, Nehemiah the governor. And so Ezra, you come, pastor, you come and you teach us the word of God. And Nehemiah just kind of fades in the background. And I love the way Chuck Swindoll points this out. He said, as Ezra did his job, Nehemiah stood among the people, applying the truth that was proclaimed. It posed no problem for him to step aside and have his wall project virtually ignored because a far more significant activity was taking place among the people. And then he goes on to say, from the very start, Nehemiah refused all temptations to turn the wall project into an ego trip. He was satisfied being an Indian among other Indians, not a chief, may his tribe increase, end of quote. So the four characteristics I want you to notice with me when revival comes, revival at the gate. Number one, there's a deep appreciation for the scriptures, okay? There's a deep appreciation for the word of God. I got an article last night sent to me by a good friend of mine here in the city of Austin. And, and the title of the article was, The Hottest New Thing in Church Today. 
And I read the title to my wife. She says, I don't like that title. And I was like, my wife just kind of gets a little feisty. She's the hottest. Why are you the hottest? Why? We don't, well, what, what is all this about? And so I'm, 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 re, I'm holding my ribs here. They're, they're still there, by the way. I sneezed twice this morning. It changed my life. I just want y'all to know that. It, <laughs> it changed my life. I'm still bruised up from these, from these ribs, but bikes are meant to be ridden, not falling off of. But anyhow, do y'all know what that article said? The hottest thing in church today is, and I thought, oh, mercy preacher, here we go. What, what's next? What are they gonna say? The preaching of the word of God. So what? I said, what? I said, oh yeah. Yeah, people are tired of the 18 ways to have a happy life. The, the, the congregations in America today are going, we have had enough of that. Teach us the Bible. We don't know what the Bible means. Teach us, pastor. And I thought, man, that's interesting. So that's what, we, that's what we do. That's what we're going to continue to do. So the focus here is on not a person as far as Nehemiah, not even on Ezra, but it's the focus is on God and on the Word of God. The people in the open square. For six hours, they, they read it. And the primary thrust of the, of the day was that, listen to this carefully, the reading of the Word of God the understanding of the Word of God, and then the application of the Scriptures. Uh, one writer puts it this way, he said, the people listened attentively because they firmly believed the message to be God's revelation. God's Word preached in the power of the Holy Spirit with, with authority will command attention. The Word, the reading of God's Word brings revival. And for 40 days, what we're going to do at Great Hills, I can't wait to do this. I have no idea what this is going to look like beginning in August 8, running through September 17. For 40 solid days, the Word of God is going to be read from this place, and prayers are going to be lifted up to God for our church, for our nation, and for our church plant that we're going to be planting in the fall. And I, I really don't know how this is going to look. I, I, I'm just excited about it. I just know God is calling me to every seventh day. I will ask you to fast, do, do without maybe a meal or maybe a Coke or something or something that you really love and just kind of withdraw from that. And when you're tempted to eat or to drink or whatever, or to open up your iPhone, just say, no, I'm not doing that. Why am I not doing that? I'm praying. I'm praying and I'm fasting for my church, for my nation and for uh, God's favor upon us. And so the reading of the word of God, just amazing to me. There's such deep love and honor and appreciation for six hours. And, and the Bible says here these 13 people were, uh, these, these Israelite leaders. And, and by the way, the word people is used like 13 times, 12 or 13 times the word people is used in verses one through 12. And I thought that was pretty interesting. When revival comes, man, there is just this even deeper respect and honoring and appreciation for the, for the sacred scriptures. Yes, you read that right in verse seven. The Bible says that the Levites went out among the church, the congregation, outdoors, and it helped them to understand what the law meant. Now, to me, I, I'm, in my mind's eye, I see Ezra up here reading, and maybe he just pauses for a minute and says, okay, guys, that's kind of confusing, and maybe, maybe people don't understand that. Go out there and explain it to them. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I mean, that's just unorthodox. Who does that? Well, again... 
when, when, when there's just this revival, when God's just doing something unique and special, kind of different things happen. 30 to 50,000 people are present and they read the scriptures for six hours. The Levites give the meaning and probably what's going on, and, I, and I've read multiple scholars and commentaries as I prepared this message. What, here's the best way I can explain it. The people of Israel had been living in uh, Persia or, or they had been living away from the Holy Land, right? They had been deported. Really, the deportation started in 609 B.C. After 70 years, about, eight, well, about 539 B.C., uh, the Medes and the Persians, the king Cyrus said, okay, y'all can go back home. And so they left um, Persia and, and, the, and the lands of the Medes and the Persians, and they made their way back to Israel. Now, Zerubbabel led the first wave, right, in, in 538. The second wave was Ezra in 457, and there comes Nehemiah in 444. Now, you got to remember, they, some of them may have been really, really old and had made the journey, but most of them, their parents and their grandparents had lived in a foreign land and they had learned the language of the foreign land, which was Aramaic. It was the diplomatic language of the land. So you've got all these Jews and there Ezra is reading the Bible in the Hebrew and the people are going, can you translate that for me? I, my Hebrew's not up to snuff. Good Alabama colloquialism, but anyhow, I don't understand it really good. So what they would do is they would go out and they would translate and interpret. Isn't that cool? Translate it out of the Hebrew into the Aramaic so the people could understand it. And they would say, now, while we're translating, let me also explain what is happening here. And so the people, the last verse says the people were thrilled because they, bien is the Hebrew word, they understood. You know, I find that to be true today. When you, the people of God, hear a message from the Word of God, and it is applied and illustrated by the preacher of God, then you, there's a joy in your heart. There's an appreciation to say, oh, thank you for taking the time to explain that to me because I love the Bible. But let's face it, guys, sometimes the Bible is not the most easy book in the world to understand. Amen, amen, oh my. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes, and so that's why we want to study it and prepare messages for you. Okay, that's number one. Number two. When revival comes, there is dynamic worship. Lots of worship going on here. Not, not any singing. I didn't see any singing or instruments. And Brother Terry, not to mitigate that whatsoever. Uh, uh, Levites, you great singers and uh, instrumentalists. We love y'all and that is a blessed thing. But, but really, there's not a lot of preaching going on in here. There's no singing going on here. It's just this understanding of the Word of God. And because of that, the people just go a little bonkers, y'all. I mean, really, verse 6 is in the Bible. I did not make it up, right? He's reading, and the people go, it's kind of like the wave. Y'all ever been to a ball game, see the wave, you know? This group starts over here, and they go down. Yeah. And this group goes, yeah. Go. Some of y'all look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you need to get out more, all right? You need to go to a ball game, and you need to watch what people do in the ball games. And so I, here, here's what I saw going on in that text. He's reading the Word of God. Somebody's explaining it, and they go, Whoa, glory, that's what that means. Oh, God, thank you, God, amen, and amen. Thank you, Lord. When's the last time you've seen that happen in church? Again, the, the, these are some extraordinary movements of the Spirit of God that is producing extraordinary results. 
It's a little bit out of churchianity, as Dr. Ed Young would say. It's a little bit out of the norm, but it is certainly within God's precious will for those people to be a little more demonstrative, a little more excited. I mean, come on, guys. They, their families have been in bondage and in captivity, and now they're home. There's the temple right over there. Man, the wall has been built. God has visited his people. Woo, I can't help it, but I just got to say, thank you, Jesus. And they bow down and they worship almighty God. And listen, this is pre-Calvary, pre-resurrection, and pre-Pentecost. Now, if anybody should have that same and even more so fervor and dynamism in worship, should it not be us, the people of God today? I mean, we have a whole lot more than what they had. I mean, we had a New Testament come now. New Testament hadn't been written yet. People ain't, they hadn't been living yet. I mean, they ain't no New Testament. Man, that's what I want, Brother Danny. I, I'd love for, man, I'd love for God to show up and show out at Great Hills Baptist Church, not nearly as bad as I do. <laughs> not nearly as bad as I do. And I'd love to see it so permeate us and be so palpable that it just kind of seeps out into the community and, and revival comes. Wouldn't that be awesome? Revival come. And it just sweeps across our great state and sweeps all up over the East Coast and the West Coast and our nation turns back to God. Awesome. Well, the next thing, dynamic worship. Let me see if I need to say anything else about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Let me, let me say something. Richard Owen Roberts, I quoted him a minute ago in his, from his book, Revival. And I love this. He says, God will not share his glory with another, no matter how godly or influential that person may be. The purpose of revival is to make God, not men, famous. To focus the eyes of the people, not upon human leaders, but upon the divine leader to give glory not to great men, but to a great Savior. And that's what we see happening in this text. We're seeing the Word of God preached, but then you're seeing the people of God just go a little bonkers on us, man, just raising their hands, shouting amen, and <clears throat> lowering their face on the ground. Oh, it doesn't say they ran around and, and, and heckled and hollered and, and you know, did all, all these things. You say, whoa, I don't know about that. No, it's very... Is done decently and in order, but it was just a little animated. Praise God for this. But that's what happens when revival comes. Let me share, share a couple more things with you. Number three, there is a sense of brokenness over sin, which leads to repentance, which leads to joy. Okay? Now, in verse 6, the, the Bible says the people bowed their heads. Why would you bow your head? Well, I believe they're bowing their heads as an act of worship, but also as an act of of homage to God and an act of, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sins. And I'm, I'm sorry, God, for the sins of my forefathers. We sinned so egregiously against you that, God, you chastised us deeply. For 70 years, we were in Babylonian captivity, but now we have come home. And, oh, God, help us not to do those things that break your heart and cause you to discipline your people. Can I say that again? Oh, God, may we not do those things that break your heart and cause you to discipline your people. Well, verse 9, when they heard the word of God, the Bible says they wept. Now, why are they weeping? They're weeping because they're sorrow. You say, how do you know that? Because Nehemiah and the guys go, okay, that's enough. You've wept, you're sorrowful, you've repented. Now let's have some joy. And that's what I'm going to get to in point four. But before point four comes, 
Before the resurrection and ascension, there's always a crucifixion. Could it be that we don't experience the power of God and revival in church because we omit this very important aspect? Boo-hoo, party pooper preacher. Who wants to talk about repentance, you know? Go back to hallelujah, praise the Lord, preach the word, amen. Now, come on now, I like that part. This repentance of sin mess, what is, what is that? I think it's the most important thing. Besides the preaching of God's word, I believe this sense of repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. You know, in my office back here, you ought to come check it out sometime. Um, it, it not, now, it's not the conference room office, it's the inner sanctum office. Y'all right? gave me two offices, right? You even gave me a bathroom. I really appreciate that. So I can just <clears throat> go to the bathroom. But in, there's a conference room, there's a bathroom, and then there's, there's the room where it really happens. This is where I study and prepare my messages. I pray a lot. And, and as I'm sitting there and I look up, there's a picture on my wall. And it's a big picture. It's a picture of Shubal Stearns. This is what the picture looks like. He's described as short in stature and penetrating eyes. I love that. Short in stature. He's going just like that. Shubal Stearns, 1755 in Sandy Creek, North Carolina. He's on my wall, right? They're outside. Y'all just want to go for a moment? Look, look at this picture. <laughs> he's standing up like this and he's, and, and he's outside in North Carolina and here's what's going on, and it is so moving. It's one of those prints. There's not a whole lot of these, but the church gave it to me. When I preached for them a couple of years ago, the pastor there today is one of my former students, and I preached a revival meeting. They gave me this picture, and Shubal Stearns is preaching, and there's some older people sitting over here, and there's some teenagers sitting over here. So you got the multi-generational thing going, and you got one guy, he's just going... Preach, amen. And then on the other side, you got people doing this right here. It's not, oh, this is a terrible sermon or, oh, it's so hot outside. The way that the artist captured it, it's, God, I've sinned against you. And I pray that you forgive. You, you just see it, this confession, this, this brokenness. Let me tell you a little bit more about this, uh, this fellow. He was converted when George Whitfield was preaching in New England. You remember George Whitfield? He was Benjamin Franklin's favorite evangelist, pastor, preacher. And so he's preaching, and Shubal Stearns accepts Christ and believes that the Baptists are right, that the Baptists get it right in baptism. So he gets baptized, and his friend Daniel Marshall and 15 others migrate from New England down to Sandy Creek, North Carolina in 1750. Five, all right, they plant a church called Sandy Creek Baptist Church, and it's still there. Not, now, they built, they've rebuilt on the same foundation. It is, it's phenomenal, and Jubal Stearns is buried there. When I was there a couple years ago, I was just like, this is amazing. This is just amazing, you know. You say, well, what happened to them? Within a few years, their church was running 600 people. They would have run a whole lot more people, but they planted... 42 other churches. They sent out 125 pastors. Now check that out. There he is preaching the word of God, 
Spirit of God's on the people and they gather, but then they say, we're not just gonna gather, we're, we're gonna scatter. 125 pastors were ordained out of the Sandy Creek Baptist Association and, and 42 sister-daughter churches were planted. Isn't that cool? The awesome if God would allow us to do something like that. Ordain a bunch of men and of God to go out and, and to plant churches and plant their lives. I just thought that was just so cool. Brokenness, repentance. You know, this sense of conviction of sin, it, it really is the lever that makes everything switch. If when you say, God, I'm sorry, Lord, would you forgive me? Let, let me tell you what happens, guys. God forgives you. He restores you, and it has this rippling effect upon your life, upon your family, upon your kids, your grandkids, upon your church. And so Gypsy Smith, the famous evangelist of many years ago, Gypsy Smith used to say this. He used to say, all right, if you want to experience revival, then here's what you do. I think Mark Batterson must have gotten this from Gypsy Smith. He goes, all right, go to your room, go to your room, stand in your room and take a piece of chalk. And just right where you are, just draw a circle all, all the way around that chalk where you're standing and say, oh God, send revival with whatever's in the middle of that chalk. And he says, that's you. And send revival, oh God, to me and let it begin with me. I'm sorry, Lord, for my sins. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And I'm, I'm not worried about everybody else, Lord. I'm, more, I'm worried about me. And Lord, please forget. Gypsy Smith says, when you do that, then revival's coming. I like that. And God has been speaking to me about our church and, and God has been in, in encouraging me to do this 40 days of prayer and, and, and mingled in there with fasting. And, 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 and we come in the fall and saying, God, rid us of pride, oh God. Rid us, Lord, of the sin. I, I think the sin that so easily besets Great Hills Baptist Church is the sin of offense. And that's coming from your preacher. That's coming from your pastor. And can I just stand on that authority for a moment? You may not agree with this, but this is what I believe the Spirit of God has revealed to me. There's a spirit, an overly sensitive spirit of offense that has settled down on Great Hills Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. And it looks like this. I'm offended. I don't like that. You treated me wrong. She treated me wrong. You didn't recognize me. You didn't sing what I wanted you to do. You didn't do what I did. Then now I'm mad. And I just, if, I, if, if things don't change around here and you don't start doing what I want you to do, then I'm leaving. And I've seen that, that spirit just settle in on, on our church. And I'm asking God to remove that. I'm suspect to it too. And I could give you an example and you would go, oh my word, that demon oppresses you too, doesn't it? And he does. And that sin of offense is very closely aligned to the sin of pride. Because when you don't get your way, you find you get very easily offended, and then you're right, you start ready. Take one foot in front of the other, and I'm marching out the door. And I say, get back in there. Get back in the house of God. Get, get in there with the people of God. Don't go running out the door. Because guess what? 
When you go out there, give it a little time after, after the, the honeymoon, then that preacher's gonna say something or that person's not gonna wear that or that person's gonna beat them drums too loud, stop! Something's gonna happen and you're gonna get offended again. Why don't you say, God, deal with me. Let me be right with you, God, and you take care of everybody else. Ooh, man, that's good. Just deal with me, God. Let my heart be right with you, oh God, and you take care of everything. That, that, see, revival's starting to come. Brokenness and repentance. Don't raise your hand, but how many of y'all are easily offended? <laughs> All right, I'll do it. Hardly a week goes by that I don't get my feelings hurt from something. Come on, ribs, hang in there. I'm still going to ride Gary Jones, by the way. I'm, I'm riding today. If I fall, I die, but I'm riding today. Because <laughs> it does me good. The last thing I want to share with you is this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. If the word of God is center, deep worship happens, demonstrative it may be, confession of sin, God forgive me, then look at verse Eight, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse nine, it became so strong that the leader said, stop, stop weeping. You've repented. God's forgiven you. Now let's go, let's go on. This is the feast of the trumpets for heaven's sake. We're celebrating the seventh month, the sabbatical month where we just rejoice before God. This is a time, this is a season of joy. Verse 11, stop being sad. Stop, stop grieving. In verse 12, man, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with the Lord now. And, and this is such a beautiful thing about when revival really comes. There's a spirit of others. Do you notice when that, the leader said, now eat the sweets and drink the, drink the whatever it is they were drinking. It's a Baptist church. Let me just go ahead and tell you, it's probably wine. That's probably what, what they were drinking. I'm not going there. I'm just telling you, I, that's just probably what was happening. No, I don't. I don't, if you're wondering. We got some new people in here, but anyhow. Um, eat the sweets. I don't know what it was. Praise the Lord. It, it was, they were eating it and they were drinking it. And, the, and then the leader said, don't, don't just gobble it all up yourself. Go give to other people. And then they're like, yeah, let's go. Man, we got some people that need this. And so they go out and they spread the joy, the food, the drink. And, the, and there's just this sense of, man, of joy, of, of, of prosperity, of blessings. And, and you say, well, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want that joy. I want that generosity. I want to be able to give and bless others. All of us want this, but how many of us want the Word of God for six hours? <laughs> Hallelujah, raise your hand, shout amen. God, I'm sorry where I'm so easily offended and my pride, Lord, is so strong. Would you please forget? We don't want to do that, but we do want this. Yeah, joy, joy, joy. I like the joy. Well, we need this. How many of y'all willing to do this today? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. That kind of offends me. Oh, we're sending that spirit out of here, all right? 40 days of prayer and fasting, that, that's leaving. Okay. 
there are two verses the Lord gave me to close this sermon. Here it is. I memorized them both. Let me see if I can remember them. Hosea 10, 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon us. You say, what's the other one? I don't like that one. Let me give you another one. Acts 3, 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted so that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Maybe you're here today and that's what you need to do. You need God to take out his heavenly tiller. Y'all know what a tiller is? Somebody help me. A tiller is a... It's a plow. It's a thing. Break it up. In the old days, there's a mule with a big old shaft, and it's you're just kind of doing this thing. But a tiller, it's breaking up the clods, breaking up the dirt. I pray the Holy Spirit just be a divine tiller in the house and break up that fallow ground and say, God, here I'm on the issue. God, forgive me, O Lord. I don't want to hinder. My family, I don't want to hinder this church. I don't want to hinder my nation, Lord. Do business with me. But others of you, you just need to repent and be born again. The Spirit of God come and live within you today. Wouldn't that be awesome? Lord, I just pray you'd do it. God, would you do whatever you want to do? Lord, let revival come and let it begin with me. Forgive me, God, of my sins and pride and offense. Lord, I deal with that. And if I'm dealing with it, God, I mean, I'm saying a lot of people deal with it. Lord, would you extract that from us? And Lord, would you help us to have that amiable, sweet, moldable spirit that says, here am I, oh Lord, send me, do in me, Lord, whatever you want to do. Lord, I do pray for the church. I pray for the people of God that we would have a deep appreciation for the word of God preached, the word of God explained, Lord, there would be worship. Lord, genuine. Raising hands and saying amen and some bowing on their faces. Not, not because it wasn't the genre of music that I like. Lord, thank you when revival comes. Lord, that don't matter. That stuff does not matter anymore. It's just worshiping God and praising God for who he is. And Lord, I pray for a brokenness, Lord, of us and it, we would ask for forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, I pray that you do that in us. I pray that you do it in our great nation. God, we need you. Lord, we need to come together. Lord, we need forgiveness. We need to, we need to extend grace. We need to get to know people. And then Lord, would you do that? Would you send the joy of Jesus? May he permeate us and may it so change us, oh God. Lord, we need revival. Lord, we, we need you. We need a fresh touch from you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to do it. God, do it. If you decide to wait till the 40 days of prayer and fasting, that's fine. God, you're God. But I'm just going to be a little aggressive and say, God, do it now. God, work in people's hearts now. Lord, bless your church. Bless us as a church. May our tribe increase. May, Lord, there be this overflowing generosity that comes to us from heaven and we are conduits and we, we plant other churches and we bless other people. God, just do whatever you want to do. I, I just get out of the way. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You're the potter. 
I'm the clay. Make me, Lord, mold me, break me. Thy will be done. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. And let's all stand to our feet. God bless you. Thank you for standing up. Jana, y'all lead us in a song and we'll just do business with the Lord. We'll tarry as long as the Spirit of God tarries with us and then we'll depart in joy. Here we go.